everybody. Welcome to another brand new edition of the Rebuild Podcast, a special draft edition as the Combine in Indianapolis wrapped up over the weekend and, and earlier this week. So I am very excited to bring on a guest that was at Indianapolis who has uh, some Browns ties and does a great job covering the draft. I'll get to him in a minute. I am your host as always, Jordan Zerm. You can find me on Twitter at Cleve Zerm. You can find The Rebuild on Spotify, on iTunes, on Art19, all the best places to listen to The Rebuild. You can go back and listen to any episode that you would like had some really great guests of late. We had Robert Mazon from The Ringer early on. We had Dan Orlovsky from ESPN. And today we have Dan Kedar, who actually works for the Akron Beacon Journal as well as writes for SB Nation. He is their NFL draft editor there, and he's been putting out mock drafts like crazy. He has a brand new one that just dropped today. Um, I tweeted it out, so uh, head over there to check that out and see not only who Dan has the Browns taking at number 17, but also how the rest of the draft sort of falls out, especially if Kyler Murray goes number one to the Cardinals, which would just be all sorts of chaos, and uh, it would be beautiful. But uh, Dan and I talked about a lot of different stuff from that possibility of Kyler Murray going number one overall to what he thought of Freddie Kitchens' comments about Kareem Hunt at the Combine, where the Browns should be going with that number 17 pick, and which need of theirs is the greatest talks about all of that we also talk a little bit about whether or not the Browns should look at drafting a tight end and so much more and some really really good stuff from Dan who knows every player in that's eligible for the draft I think he's dropping names left and right a ton of knowledge so if you are a Browns fan and are curious of more than just who the Browns are going to take at 17 but how they can sort of fill out their roster in uh, the rounds after that, then I think you guys are going to really, really enjoy this. Uh, you can follow Dan at Mocking the Draft on Twitter. He is a wonderful follow uh, alongside myself, of course, at Cleveland. So, you know, don't forget that. But uh, yeah, let's get right into it. This is SB Nation's Dan Kadar uh, speaking with me about the NFL Combine, what the Browns should do in the draft, and so much more. All right, I am uh, very excited to welcome in today's guest on the Rebuild podcast. He is the NFL draft editor for SB Nation. He also works at the Akron Beacon Journal. It is Dan Kedar, and uh, Dan, really appreciate you you hopping on with me. I know it's been a bit of a whirlwind couple of weeks for you as you were down in Indy covering the Combine and all of the craziness that goes along with that, and uh, you just had a new mock draft come out today, so a lot of things happening. It's a busy time for you, but appreciate uh, you taking a little time to uh, to chat with me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, man. Of course. Um, so, Dan, I think really the place I wanted to start with you was your mock draft. Uh, your latest mock draft came out today, and it was sort of around the, the, the pretense that what if Kyler Murray actually did get selected at number one overall to the Arizona Cardinals and how the rest of the draft would sort of fall around that. I, th- I know that you wrote that, you know, the rumors and sort of buzz around this Kyler Murray thing seems to change by the day of, okay, today people are reporting that Cliff Kingsbury has been telling people that they're going to take him and it's a done <laughs> deal. And then the next day it's, oh, no, that's not, that's just smoke and all of that. And um, I remember at, it was about this time last year and maybe a little bit closer to the draft, but the Browns and Josh Allen were really, really closely linked for a lot of the draft process. And before 
a couple days before the draft when a couple people started tweeting and started reporting that actually Baker Mayfield was seriously in play for number one. I just remember that Josh Allen to the Browns was something that was being mocked and being talked about a lot. This almost feels like another level of that. The, the buzz to me, at least in the past few weeks, has really climbed to a level that I don't know if it ever really truly got to with the Browns and Josh Allen. So just for you, from being an indie, from talking to people, and then in your mock today, how serious and how real do you think the Cardinals' interest and would they actually pull the trigger on Kyler at number one? Well, like you said, it, it changed quite a bit last year, and I, I think that can happen this year, but I do think the the seriousness of Murray going first overall is very real from the standpoint of he's, he's a very good thrower of the football, first of all. You know, in, in looking at his game and the whole thing was how big is he, to me that his height and stuff didn't matter so much just because of how well he throws the ball. But he's also just, you know, a good fit in the offense that they're going to put in there. It's it's one thing if he were, you know, to get drafted by some classic NFL offense or, you know, some West Coast offense type of thing. But in Cliff Kingsbury's offense, I, I think it would, would take perfect advantage of what he can do. So, you know, I, I think it's it's a very real possibility. I, I think it, it it is going to change kind of day by day, like you said, until we get to the draft. You know, it'll be interesting if we if we get into a situation like the Browns did last year with Baker where, okay, we, we kind of know now that it's Baker Mayfield. If the Cardinals can manage to take this thing all the way up to when they're actually on the clock officially. So it, it's really fascinating. You know, it's a, you have this, this draft where Nick Bose is an elite, elite prospect. Quinn and Williams is the same way. And then you have the, this quarterback who, you know, no one was talking about as an NFL prospect, you know, two months ago, potentially going first overall. It's a, it's a, it's a completely fascinating year. Yeah, it really is. That's a, that's a good point. It's, it's been, I can't remember a situation like this where not only, um, you know, it's not only that people were like, oh, he could have been a prospect who just was going back to school like a, like a Justin Herbert for, uh, for Oregon. He was a guy that was literally going to go play baseball. Like there wasn't any future for him in the NFL. And then it just changed so rapidly to where he's at his press conference saying, I'm all in, like I'm all in in the NFL. It really is one of the more unique situations. And it's really thrown a wrench into what otherwise I think you know, before his name kind of got thrown into the ring, it, it kind of seemed like it was going to be a fairly standard NFL draft. I guess as far as you can use the word standard in drafts, but it really has sort of thrown a wrench into this entire thing. And that's why I thought your mock was so interesting, because it really is almost a totally separate draft if the Cardinals were to make that move at number one. Yeah, and really, quite frankly, having Murray there at number one, to me, made the rest of the the top five at least easier sure you know like you always wondered with arizona and nick bosa if while he is an elite prospect if he is redundant with chandler jones and the system that they're going to run and then you just move down the line you know the jets is Quinn and williams the best fit for the defense there they're sticking with a three four 
so far the indication is that they're not going to move on from Leonard Williams, who's really struggled there. Is Quinn and Williams redundant with Leonard Williams? So it, it, having Kyler Murray at number one, quite frankly, make, makes my job a little bit easier. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Um, and then it, it just causes this complete domino effect where you don't have to think about the Giants potentially moving up to draft Dwayne Haskins. He might just be there. Um, and then you can keep going down and down and down. And it, it just opens things up much more than it, it was previously, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a really interesting point. And I think, I think you're definitely right that if the Cardinals make that move, it sort of frees some teams up from having to make some maybe more kind of complicated decisions or having to weigh some of those decisions more. Um, Dan, sort of moving into the, the Browns aspect of all of this, you um, you were at and, and got to hear um, Freddie Kitchens talk and, and John Dorsey talk. I I wanted to kind of start here with you because when John Dorsey had his initial presser about the Kareem Hunt signing, I thought it was pretty disappointing. He didn't really say a whole lot of substance. He sort of deflected stuff to ownership and um that's why I thought what Freddie Kitchens said was so interesting because Freddie really spent a lot of his press conference talking about um, Kareem Hunt and not about football, but just about, you know, he's here to first become um, a better person and we're, we're going to focus on all of that before anything on the field. And I know sometimes that can be lip service from NFL organizations who maybe aren't going to back up what they say when it comes to players in situations like Kareem Hunt. But I do think the Browns have a little bit of a track record, at least with Josh Gordon, where different situations, but they seem to, from all reports, try to help him as much as they possibly could and work with him as much as they possibly could. And um, I, I, I'm curious what you took away from, from Freddie Kitchens in general, but maybe we can start with just how he talked about and how he sort of framed the Kareem Hunt conversation. Well, a couple things. Like you mentioned, I work for the Akron Beacon Journal, so I'm always going to probably back up the Cleveland media, which often, unfortunately, gets bashed by the Browns fan base for whatever reason. But I was a little dis- disappointed that they just kept going on and on asking Freddie about Kareem Hunt. I wanted to know more about what other things Freddie has in mind for the, the Browns. You know, what What does he view Larry Ogunjobi as a nose tackle or a three technique? What, what does he want to do with the wide receivers? You know, stuff like that. But, you know, in general, I, I liked Freddie's comments, uh, all of them about Kareem Hunt. I, I think it's he played it smart. I, I, I think he's sincere about it. You know, I, I, I hope it works out with Kareem Hunt for the Browns. Like I, I've said all along, I really think that, you know, if Kareem Hunt gets a big suspension this year, like 10 games, which is very possible, I've kind of thought that the move by the Browns was more to kind of retain his rights for 2020. I'm pretty sure they can they can hold on to him for 2020. There's something weird in the, the NFL contract stuff that I, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure they control him for 2020. So... It's my feeling that, like, if they can help him rehabilitate, keep him on the straight and narrow, maybe you get him for six games or a playoff push, but then you really control him for 2020. You can either have him here 
or you can move him for a, a decent pick or something like that. I don't know. Um, I, I kind of feel like the Kareem hunting is more about 2020 than 2019 to some degree. So it, I, I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. The whole Kareem hunt thing. I kind of wish Freddie would have been asked different stuff, but it is what it is, I suppose. Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. And I do think that obviously the Kareem hunt is such a, um, sort of a clickable topic for sure. And obviously a lot of the writers there sort of wanted to, who hadn't heard from Freddie on on Kareem yet, wanted to kind of get that out. But I I do think it's interesting, especially, you know, you mentioned Larry Ogunjobi and we can sort of transition into this too, because, you know, a lot of what the, and what Freddie Kitchens use him as, and a lot of, you know, where the Browns sort of have been mocked a lot in both yours and, and other mock drafts that have come out throughout this cycle is, you know, a defensive tackle on a guy like Christian Wilkins from Clemson, who I think is the most frequent name I've seen mocked to the Browns in, in all mm-hmm. of the mocks that I've seen. So I do think that questions like that um, were important to ask because it may shed a little light on where the Browns would go with that number 17 pick. I know that, you know, cornerback has, has been between Greedy Williams and um, Byron Murphy. There are guys that have been attached to the Browns uh, there as well as they look to kind of continue to shore up the secondary and, and that cornerback position across from, from Denzel Ward. But um, I guess for you, because in your latest one as well, and I think in a couple of your past ones, you've kind of steadily had Christian Wilkins to the Browns. But do you think that defensive tackle for them is really their – in terms of what they need to add the most, whether it's a linebacker, whether it's a corner or a defensive tackle, would you put defensive tackle sort of at number one of their priorities in this draft? I absolutely positively would because I think we saw last year with Ogunjobi in particular, those guys up front just got worn down by the end of the season. So I I, I think if you can add another presence up front or two quite frankly um, you're, you're doing a lot for guys like Ogunjobi and Miles Garrett so I, I kind of see the, the three technique spot assuming that Ogunjobi is a nose tackle for Steve Wilkes um, which again I, I, I still want to hear from the Browns about that um, I, I do think defensive tackle is right in there but you know, the cornerback one is interesting. I'm really fascinated by how this is going to develop with the Browns. The, the word is that they're not going to tender Brienne Body Calhoun, who I think is a pretty nice nickel cornerback, you know, out, down in the slot. Um, and you, you really got to wonder a little bit, I think. Denzel Ward, he had two concussions in three games. That's not good. He's on the smaller side. Um, you, you have to wonder what Wilkes thinks of Denzel Ward, where he plays, how highly they value the, the nickel corner position, and I think they should, and if they think that guy's on the roster right now. So I think it's defensive tackle, and then after that, for me, I think it's, it's either end or cornerback. And the linebacker one, uh, look, they're going to get rid of Jamie Collins. I think Christian Kirksey, we'll see. He's, he's due big money. The Browns can afford him, obviously, but I, I don't know. I, I'm going to be watching Christian Kirksey to see if he's back. But to me, those are the kind of the four big needs for them. 
Yeah, and you know, touching on the Brian Body Calhoun thing for a minute, I th- I think yeah, I think people were pretty surprised that the the Browns sort of decided not to um, to tender him, and uh, it's interesting too because a lot of what Steve Wilkes did, and sort of initially there was some criticism in, in Arizona, was how often he sort of played with. Um, you know, multiple sort of cornerbacks and, and more nickel looks and, and how many DBs he would have out on the field at one time. And he seemed to prefer playing, you know, four to five of them as often as he could. So it is interesting to me that the Browns sort of would let, potentially let Brian Body Calhoun, uh, Calhoun, excuse me, go elsewhere when it seems like, you know, Steve Wilkes w- would be a guy who would want as many sort of talented and versatile guys you can have. And I think in Obviously, yeah, as a nickel corner and as as a guy that doesn't need to be out on the field all the time. But Brian can be a a good player for you in those sort of smaller sample sizes for him. So I did think that was sort of an interesting move. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, look, we we know how much resources, how many resources they put into the secondary last offseason. But at the same time, you know, if, if Body Calhoun's gone, I mentioned Ward's stuff. You know, with his concussions, EJ Gaines is a free agent. Philip Gaines is a free agent. Travis Carey, I think, was a little bit of a disappointment. And I think Terrence Mitchell, he, he was pretty darn good. Um, but I, I think there are, if you're running four to five, you know, defensive backs and cornerbacks specifically, that that's one to watch. I, I really think so. And we'll see. I mean, maybe the Browns will splash even more cash there in free agency we'll see yeah we definitely will and um you know with Terrence Mitchell too I don't know if he had an injury history but um you know he obviously was out for a big chunk of that season with uh, with the arm injury too so there's you know both their cornerbacks who were very good when they were on the field just you know missed chunks of time with injuries so that's obviously something that's uh that's got to be a little concerning for them. All right, I want to take a quick break from my conversation with Dan to tell you about Ethos Life Insurance. Guys, I know life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That is why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At getethos.com, there's no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars. There's no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with absolutely no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress, but getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in just minutes. So just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S, getethos.com. Once again, that's getethos.com. All right, now back to my conversation with Dan. You know, we mentioned defensive tackle as as probably their highest priority, and, and another edge guy I think would help as well. But so many of the edge, at least the top edge guys, and maybe the Browns weren't going to have a shot at many of these guys anyway, but you look at the combine performances of some of these guys like Montez Sweat and Brian Burns and um, just really only really increased their stock and made them even more valuable, I think. And and even Ed Oliver, who maybe has lost a little momentum um, as an inside guy since, you know, the beginning of that college football season. But it would be hard for me to see him even dropping that far to 17 for the Browns. Did did a lot of these guys edge and then maybe, you know, the, the one – uh, defensive tackle who who was pretty buzzed about uh, in Ed 
Oliver? Did a lot of these guys sort of play themselves out of the range of even the possibility of the Browns sort of uh, having that choice to make, whether they wanted to do a, a tackle or an edge guy? For the most part, yes. I, I think the the interesting name in the first round to keep in mind there is is Cleveland Farrell from Clemson. Yeah. I, I mentioned in today's mock draft, I don't think the Browns would go wrong if they took a Clemson defensive lineman in the first round. You know, may, maybe not the you know Albert Huggins, but um, you know, I, I think he's he's an interesting one there. But yeah, you're right. I mean. Rashawn Gary, I have a hard time figuring out where to put him, but he'll probably be gone. Montez Sweat, man, he he's really been riding high since the senior ball, and he's he's really good. I mean, someone compared him to Julius Peppers, which is a a little much, but it, <laughs> play, playing style wise, it's not completely insane. Sure, but you know, after that, a lot of these ends are kind of bigger base ends and you wonder are these guys really an upgrade over Emmanuel Agba and the answer is no yeah what what they would provide though is you know a nice depth do you take nice depth in the first two rounds when you're the Browns and you're making a push for the playoffs I don't know um but yeah the the the, the defensive line group boy it, it it was fun to watch, quite frankly, just how how crazy big and athletic these guys are. Yeah, it um, it sort of blows my mind as we go year by year now how much more athletic, especially like you mentioned, these these defensive ends, even offensive line, these big guys, and just how mm-hmm. athletic and quick they've become. Like it makes me think that in like three four years, like defensive ends are going to be running like four twos, <laughs> and we're just going to be like, what is ha-? like quarterbacks aren't going to be able to survive? It really just blows my mind. Yeah, and they'll they'll still be six foot four, yes. two hundred and sixty five pounds. So. It, it's it's crazy, you know. The all the talk about football the last two years has been offense, 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 and then you see these players on defense just tearing it to shreds on, on the field in Indianapolis. It's it, it's something else, man. Yeah, it is, and it's so funny too because you know the NFL can be so cyclical, and we have had this sort of offensive revolution and. Um, you know, in, in systems and in, you know, the way guys are calling plays and what quarterbacks are doing. But, you know, maybe as we move into these next couple of years and, and you start to see some of these some of these guys, especially if it's these edge defenders who are just blowing these athletic testing numbers out of the water, it's going to be really fun to sort of watch if maybe now is the time where the defenses start to adjust to that with just these insane athletes that you can not only put in multiple positions, but are just, you know, getting off the line of scrimmage and getting to these quarterbacks maybe faster than we've seen. I, I'm really kind of excited to see this sort of response if this is the type of athletes that we're getting in the draft yeah same here and i I think we've seen a couple hints of it here and there i mean there was the playoff game where the chargers legitimately had seven defensive backs on the field at one point and it it didn't work out for them in that game but you you really gotta wonder okay you get four freaky athletes up front what do you do with the other seven maybe it's you know, just a bunch of smaller guys who fly around the field and are good enough tacklers and they can make a play on the ball. Uh, it, it's it, it's really going to be interesting to see how these really smart 
defensive coordinators adjust. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, Dan, to the one other thing that I've sort and I don't think this is obviously something the Browns are going to look at doing in the first round, but maybe as we go on, but you know, I'm pretty high on David Njoku. I think maybe I might be higher than some other people's friends of mine, other people that, that cover the Browns. But I think that year three for him is going to be um, a big year for him in terms of just his consistency. Because I do think, speaking of athletes, that's one of the more a- athletic guys I've seen. And I think that year three, in terms of consistently catching the ball, I think he should hopefully make a big leap. But I know that there are people that look at the two tight ends from – from Iowa, like TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, and then, you know, other ones as, as you kind of move through the draft as something that they would like to see the Browns do to sort of add a little more depth to that tight end position because the Browns, for whatever reason, and, and maybe behind the scenes and in practice, practice uh, set the valve just isn't putting stuff on, on film that they like. I know he was hurt for a while last year too, but I always thought that he had a chance to be pretty good, and, and when he's on the field, he, he makes plays. He had a couple uh, um, great snags from Baker Mayfield when he was uh, in the games uh, this past season. But are you somebody that looks at the Browns and thinks they need to add sort of a, a tight end to, to balance out that tight end position? I kind of do. I mean, I, first of all, it was fascinating that, that Dorsey's media session ended with him openly challenging yes. David and Joku on his run blocking. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a, that is a sneaky position of need. I, look, I like Devalve too, but at some point you just have to say, all right, we, we drafted you in 2016 in the fourth round. If you were going to break out despite your injuries, it, it was probably going to happen by now. Sure. You know, so we'll, we'll see on him. I, I like Darren Fells, but he is what he is. So, yeah, I, I, I think tight end is a sneaky early day three need. And when you look at that kind of range, you, you start thinking about, like, I'm a big Foster Moreau fan from LSU. Terrible stats because LSU is – the worst passing offense relative to the recruiting success that they have to me. Um, so he never got the ball. I think he's going to be a good NFL player. Uh, Isaac Nauta from Georgia is maybe more of a blocker than receiver, but he's good. Josh Oliver from San Jose State. Some people think he might not even be there on day three. But, you know, it, it tight end is arguably, in terms of depth, maybe the second or third best position in the draft this year. So, you know, if, if the Browns say, Hey, set the valve, you you just haven't reached the level we expected. Yeah. I think that's a thing that could happen for sure. Sure. And those are uh, definitely names for, for Browns fans to keep an eye on, like you said, Dan, in sort of the, the uh, day three and, and maybe even earlier if it, if it dictates that. So Dan, I kind of want to finish with this for you and maybe putting you on spot a little bit here, but if you, the first three rounds, let's say, what to you is a perfect sort of three selections for the Browns if they could if they could come out with what you envision as sort of a, a, a perfect draft for those early those early rounds? What what are some of the names um, that that you think would make up that sort of perfect early round draft for the Browns? Mm, boy, that's a that's a fascinating fascinating question. I've always kind of wanted to do like 
a series on teams perfect drafts i've just never had the time over the years for it and me talking about that right now is my way of stalling while i think about how to answer <laughs> yeah. your question but yes here's what i'll say i'll say christian wilkins in the first round i think you'd be perfect in the three technique role and look the browns have a couple guys with off-field stuff Christian Wilkins talked more about being a great culture guy than being a great football player. So I, I, I'm a big fan of his period. I am a massive, huge fan of his as a fit for the Browns. So if they got him in the first round, I don't want to say I I wouldn't care what they did the rest of the draft, but I just think he would be such a great fit. Um, after that, I like Hakeem Butler, the mm-hmm. Iowa State wide receiver. I think he can do something the Browns just don't really have, especially if Perriman leaves in free agency, which, again, we'll see here, I think, in the next few days, really. What happens with him? Um, hmm, this is where it gets tough. Those are, those are the first – those two are the easy ones for sure. me, right? Um Maybe the third round is, is when you look at a cornerback. You know, maybe Julian Love of Notre Dame. I think if if they let Body Calhoun really go, he might be one you think about there. Maybe Rocky Sin from Temple. Um, but yeah, maybe 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 a nice cornerback in a third round. Jo Joan Williams, who's a kind of a, a Terrence Mitchell kind of cornerback. Uh, he could be in play too. So. Yeah, I would say a defensive tackle, wide receiver, cornerback, unless there's one of these pass rushers somehow falls into your lap. Yeah, I, I I think that if the Browns come out of those early rounds with some combination of a defensive tackle slash edge, a, a wide receiver, cornerback, I, I think that myself would be pretty happy. I think the Browns as an organization would be pretty happy. And um, yeah, it, it, it's going to be fascinating though, because even though the Browns, you know, there isn't quite the level of um, maybe both excitement slash pressure of having a, a number one <laughs> overall pick. Um, I do think that uh, it, the intrigue of it, just being at 17 and all the possibilities and how the rest waiting to see how a draft falls uh, is not something that the Browns are quite used to because they're always so high up there. So I think that adds a different sort of intrigue to the draft uh, for Browns fans. And I think it's going to be kind of fun regardless, even though waiting till seven, it's going to feel like a very long wait until 17. (laughs) If the Browns don't move at all, like we're so used to them picking immediately, you got to extend your plans for, uh, for that Thursday night a little bit this year. Yeah, for sure. And look, this is a good problem to have if you're the Browns. And the last two years have been about finding your mega superstars in Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett. And they did that perfectly. And now it's going to be about just adding good quality football players, good starters, and good depth. And if the Browns do that... You know, maybe, Jordan, if we do this again next year, we'll be talking about the Browns picking in the 20s or the 30s. Who knows? Yeah, I, that that should that should be the goal, and that is hopefully, you know, I, I mentioned this on some earlier podcasts, but for the first time in a very, very long time, because the Browns have had blips of seasons where they've been good, but it's either been an anomaly or um, players they, that had a good season the next year just sort of fall off a cliff. This feels like one of the first times that they're really sort of 
going to be able to build for multiple years. And I think that's a really exciting prospect because that's just not something that the Browns have, have done really at all since they've come back in 99. So like you said, it's a good problem to have. And um, it's fun to talk about sort of ancillary pieces around the most important positions on a team, which they have for so long failed to get in place so they could actually do something like this where you are not having to uh, get a quarterback anymore or get a, somebody like a Miles Garrett you can sort of build around that. So, um, Dan, really appreciate you joining us. Appreciate all the info and the knowledge. Um, you can follow Dan. He is at Mocking the Draft on Twitter where you can uh, stay up to date with all his mock drafts for SB Nation and everything else that he is working on. He's a really good follow, so I would highly suggest you do that, especially uh, during the this time of the year it's the best time to follow dan so dan thank you so much for joining me man i appreciate it hey thanks for having me man